guys, before we get started, some real business because handsome boys, we're going down to San Diego in in what the nineteenth through the twenty. It's a week now. Yeah, yeah I know. A week out. Uh, so next week we are going to be in San Diego Comic Con, the nineteenth through the twenty second. And uh, Launchpad Podcast has panels, dude. This is the we top have of our game. Launchpad Podcast has two. Woo-hoo. Count them two baller panels. Uh, Rumi, why don't you hit up the first panel? All right, first panel, July twentieth, eight p.m. Room twenty five ABC. We have Ghost Faces Killer Trivia, and dude, this is gonna be so good. Like I just showed Rumi some of the prizes oh. that we have for that. Straight from Ghostface himself, Roger Jackson, friend of the show. He's been on a multiple times doing Ghostface and some other characters. Um, he is the voice of Ghostface in the Scream movie franchise. He is helping us out to do a horror movie trivia. Uh, he's going to be on the phone asking caller or asking audience members in the room horror questions for their chance to win some sweet ass prizes. Sick prizes. Guys. We have like- prizes from Cavity Colors t-shirts. Yes. We're supposed to get prizes soon from NECA. I have yes. surprise. I have prizes from three or four different um venues in los angeles that have really nice things um horror all horror related merch we have some horror comics to give away and the stuff that ghostface himself sent us i don't know if we should say we definitely have some autographs but let's just say it's like a do it at home slasher kit like you could you could be ready (laughs) yeah wouldn't that be funny in the next screen movie it's like ghostface shows up and they're like is your mask sign he's like so is my knife (laughs) i got it from the launchpad podcast this is it's going to be fun it's going to be me aaron and roger jackson the voice of Ghostface, asking horror questions uh goofing around about horror movies with the crowd and giving out some sweet ass prizes to see who knows so that's about their horror movies who likes scary movies our second one is going to be nothing tops dinosaurs attacks trading cards this is going to be saturday night which is the 22nd yep at 7 30 7 30 p.m in room 29 CD. Uh, you guys have heard us talk about it multiple times on the show. These bloody 1989 tops trading cards, graphic, disgusting, gory dinosaur cards. We are having the creator of the series, Gary Gerani, on. He's going to be talking about them. I have a collector friend of mine, Greg Goldstein, who also used to run IDW Publishing, also used to work at Tops. I actually bought original card art from him. We're bringing our original card art to show. And the f- this might be the most fun part for me is I got an actual paleontologist. A, a real fucking, paleontologist. A PhD to come on this panel and kind of knock these cards for the scientific inaccuracies. <laughs> but he seems like a fucking cool dude. Uh, I wrote him. I was like, listen, I don't know if you're familiar with these cards, but they have like herbivores like this dinosaur eating children out of a school bus. Every kid knows that's an herbivore. And I want you to talk about the scientific nature of that. So he wrote me back and said, well, a lot of people don't realize herbivores sometimes could be carnivorous if they needed to to survive, but that particular dinosaur's bones couldn't bite through the bones of a child. Oh, he says, that particular dinosaur's teeth couldn't bite through the bones of a child. And I was like, that is exactly the type of shit I need you to say on the panel. So there's going to be surprises. Uh, I actually bought some original dinosaurs attacks still in the wrapper trading cards to hand out to kids and possibly adults in the crowd <laughs> we're gonna open up packs on stage it's gonna be fucking great and there's there's one or two more surprises um that i have for this as well so i'm really excited about this panel too 
These are going to be so awesome, dude. I wasn't going to be able to come because I thought I was going to be working and then I thought I was going to be poor. And both are true. I'm not working. And I'm poor. <laughs> but, but we're making it happen. Uh, uh, my wife is awesome and made it happen. She used her, her plane flight magic money and uh, we are... I'm coming down there, man. We are going to be doing it up. We're going to be getting interviews, doing panels. I mean, this is this is top of our game, Launchpad Podcast stuff. So if you are going to San Diego Comic Con, we will see you there. Come find us. Uh, we will be. We got our mobile podcasting perch ready to go. I've been building this awesome like tree of podcasting power that we're going to walk around Comic Con with, uh, doing video, doing doing audio, and uh, recording the next few episodes live from San Diego. It's going to be and so fucking. Sick. I got to give Rumi mad credit. You guys have seen all the stuff on the social media that he's been posting. He has made some amazing promo art for this. Turned some shit into shirts. We're gonna have. Uh, new business card. So if you see us, ask us for a business card. But we're gonna have a <laughs> bitching banner, like a, a six foot, seven foot tall banner that Rumi designed. That's got so many nerd Easter eggs on it, as well as you know, like if you love us, you're gonna love this banner. He made these great graphics for the uh, Ghostface uh, panel, as well as for the Dinosaurs Attacks panel. I'm super stoked about this. It's gonna be super fun. So. If you're going to be at Comic-Con, let us know. Definitely come to those two panels. We would love to see you guys at the panel. And if you're there and you're a listener, come up and let us know. We've like befriended listeners. I, fucking Brian Ivanhoe. Brian Ivanhoe's coming and helping us out with some stuff at a yeah, panel. So we got, we got he's like, he's this. was our We're first fan that ever now. came up to us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now he's an employee. So yeah, come, come say hi, you guys. If you see us, we'll definitely be wearing launch pad shirts and shit. But you know, walking around and you'll see us because we'll be the handsomest, nerdiest, coolest dudes there with the biggest <laughs> microphones. Not the size matters, but come say hi to us. Come, come nerd out with us, man. That's why we're all there. And, and, we're psyched. I'm so excited. Rumi's coming. Rumi's killed it with all these t-shirts and promo art. So we got panels. We got yeah. some good interviews in the works. And uh, I'm going to nerd out all over the place. It's been a while. It's been a minute since I've been to a con and just fucking let my nerd hair down. I know. Oh, I'm going to let my hair down. Woo. All right. Let's do it. Hey, yeah. Take it out of that stupid man bun before you embarrass yourself. <laughs> no, you're going to fucking love it, dude. You're going to see him be like, oh, shit. Yeah. Because when he lets it down, it's just like, sploosh. all right. <laughs> Enough chit chat. <laughs> get on with the show ignition sequence start six five four three two one zero all engine running liftoff we have a liftoff Right, welcome to Launchpad Podcast. I'm Aaron. Uh Matt. Matt, a little, little. What have you been watching before we go off to Comic Con? You know, a classic, shitty, chatty Launchpad goodness. Um, you've been you've been traveling. Yeah, I went to like three states in the last three weeks. We went to South Carolina, Rhode Island, and then New Hampshire. And I did not get to watch as much shit as I wanted to or hoped to. I guess I'm trying to think if I even watched anything. You, you didn't do like a family movie night. No, it's too busy for that. And I think like Amanda and Kent are definitely still, well, they're not on this, they're not on this schedule, but like by eight, nine, 10 o'clock, they were tired. We did yeah. a couple like uh, date lines with her sister. Um, but even me, oh, I did, I did watch one shitty movie, but like that was it. Otherwise, I would just put something on. I was prepping like crazy for Comic Con, prepping crazy for, you know, uh, nerd art and stuff that I'm doing and, you know, deals and shit. 
but I don't know, man. I stayed up super late every night, but didn't really watch. I, I think I was just putting on like mystery science theaters and shit in the background, hoping it would knock me out. Yeah. Um, but I got, I got an interesting, what have you been watching for that? Um, we finally showed Sammy cause all she wants to watch is frozen. And my, mm-hmm. my two was just like, I want to watch frozen. I want to watch frozen, frozen again. But her favorite part is the scary part with the big snowman. Where I'm like, all right, my kid likes spooky shit. I'm yeah, like, okay, I'll take that. The so kaiju. Then, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So then we finally are like, you're going to watch Little Mermaid. And she was like, don't want to watch it. She was arguing and arguing and arguing. And then like there was a storm and a ship sank and it was on fire. And she was like, I'm scared. And we're like, it's going to be okay. Keep watching the movie. And then like five minutes later, she's like, I want to watch the scary storm again. I want to watch the scary storm again. And then we're like, don't worry, more scary stuff's coming in. Ursula showed up and she was like, I'm scared. And we're like, it's cool though, right? And she's like, yeah, I want to watch, want to watch Ursula. Want to watch Ursula. And we're like, yes, she's into the scary stuff. And then like, you know, it's, it's, it's that one, those older movies have, do get dark, man. And I like, I'm, I'm here for that. I like that. It, it, it's very interesting. And, and for listeners who have kids in roughly this age range, like three or four years old, you might see it too. It's interesting how I think as humans, we are drawn towards scary shit, right? Like, I mean, we have a podcast that's in part dedicated to horror because we love it. And you can say that we're adults and we're obviously our entertainment and our um, our preferences and tastes are way more developed than our kids, right? But how interesting <laughs> that Sam- <laughs> like our pizza tastes. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, but like <laughs> the fact that Sammy and, and Kent as well are interested and intrigued by that darkness, by scary shit, it says a lot about human nature, I feel. And I feel like it's an interesting thing to watch because he's the same way. He's like, I'm scared of that. Can we watch that movie I just said I'm scared of? And sometimes he's flat out not scared. Like he loves Ghostbusters, not scared of any of it, has never once said anything about it being real or worried about it. But when he does get scared of shit, he does kind of like metaphorically, figuratively peek through his fingers because he kind of wants to see what's scaring it. That's why we go on roller coasters, right? That's why we watch horror movies. That's why when you jump out at your friend and you and he scares you or vice versa, they punch you and laugh about it because it's fucking fun to be scared. Right? It is a biological thrill. Absolutely. And, and it's, it's super funny to watch like a little kid work through that because they're like, oh, I'm scared. Yeah, but rewind that so I can watch it seven times. Right. And, right. And, and just let's put that on repeat. That same like three minute thing. OK. And you're like, well, at least now we have a little versatility, a little diversity in our um, lineup because I was getting so tired of fucking Frozen, man. Jesus. Um, now you get to, get to watch your ship go down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, hey, at least that's... it's at least Semen it's going down. Yeah, you love that. <laughs> <laughs> so we were in New Hampshire and where my in-law's house in New Hampshire is, if you walk down the street, which is like a gravel road to this woodsy area... You walk through maybe 50 yards of woods and you're at a lake that has a dock and you can swim at and stuff. Kent's really into swimming now. So we did that. First time we walked through those woods, I said, Kent, every time you walk through woods like this, you have to go. And he said, why? I said, it's from a scary movie. A scary guy does it. Why is that scary guy do it? I don't know. He just does it. So you do it. Every time we walk through those woods for the rest of the trip, he went. Kent is doing the Jason noise now. Oh, also, when we were in Rhode Island, they have these giant sewer grates in the in the street. And when he was about two years old, because it was it was almost two years, it was more than two years ago. That's when I told him it was we were walking in the rain, and I shit you not, it felt like the first scene in the movie. It. Yeah. So I told him, I said, look down there and say hi to Georgie. And for the rest of that trip, he did. 
We haven't done it in two years. We went for our first walk and it was sunny out. He leaned over that grate and yelled out, hi, Georgie. <laughs> <laughs> See, we pass by these like raised um, manhole ports all over our, our, our city. And every mm. time I pass by him, I go, oh, look, clown house. And now Sammy was like, clown house. <laughs> Can you smell the peanuts? <laughs> <laughs> smells like cotton candy to me, but I'm here for it. Um, I watched some movies. Uh, none, well, one of them was a first time watch. And you'll be surprised at this. And probably not a first time. I'm sure I saw this at a sleepover like back in 1996 when it came out. But Eraser. You've never seen that before? I don't. I did not remember it. Like, it's I a re- little surprising, but it's not. A, I don't think it's a staple. It's fine, but I see why you might not remember seeing it. Directed by Chuck Russell, though, who is one of my favorite horror directors. He did the Blob remake. He did uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part Three, which is my favorite one. So he mm. like he's done a lot of stuff that I love. Um, Eraser reminded me of like what like young boys playing action movie think FBI and like. this is what they think witness protection is this is right right right. fbi people do but this movie didn't seem to know what witnesses are or how witnesses work or absolutely didn't know how witness protection works but i also think like witness protection in general i don't know much about it i can't say i am any better but i do know that it's not what movies have told me it is sure yeah yeah and everyone in the world is like well if i'm like an informant like you're going to put me in witness protection right and they're like no we put mob bosses in witness protection. We don't put your ass in witness right. protection. And like this movie also is like, speaking of witnesses, hey, uh, witness, will you go steal the evidence that we need from your boss? And and like it's like, that's not how witnesses work, man. You're supposed to get the witnesses yourself. Vanessa Williams is this quote unquote witness. But in the first scene we meet her in, she's stealing evidence for the FBI, which I'm like, that's not how any of this works. It's a hands-on. That's a that's called a valued witness. That's a protected witness. I'd protect her. I think that's also like um, highly illegal. But anyway, she steals some plans to like a shitty CGI gun, and um, the FBI is like, <laughs> "We're going to protect you," but they don't protect you because they're terrible at their job. And her boss, James Cromwell, blows his brains out. Cool. And then I um, that. Arnold Schwarzenegger's there, and he's the eraser, and he like is part of the witness protection program that does like hardcore Mountain Dew witness protection like, <laughs> protect the shit out of you and he and her have to go on the run and like James Kahn is the bad guy great bad guy yeah yeah Um, and James Kahn is like hey man we've been working together for years right he's like you taught me everything I know that's my horrible uh, Arnold it sounds just like him Wait, that was Arnold? I thought that was James Caan. James Caan would be like, hey, I was in, I got shot a bunch and they kicked that, that cigarette out my mouth. Yeah. <clears throat> no, I don't know. I don't know what any of those guys sound like. I'm getting rusty. Oh, my God. Um, but yeah, James Caan plays a great bad guy in it. Uh, there's an awesome scene where Arnold like jumps out of an airplane without a sh- parachute. Very uh, point break. Uh, mm. and, the, and the plane like comes charging after him. I thought that scene was cool. And then there's a scene at a zoo where a bunch of... Um, Puppet alligators mixed with CGI alligators attack some dudes. That's fucking great. I like yeah, it was that. a great scene. Yeah, great scene. So it has some things going for it, but overall, it's like pretty goofy. Like none of it's believable, but you're like, ah, I'm, you know, it's fine. So it's funny that you bring this up because this is a great example. I just had a, <laughs> you know, those memes about like when someone asks you to explain the different lightsaber colors, in Star Wars or something, and it shows like someone asking a nerd like us a question that they don't realize is a 45 minute long explanation. I had a friend who was like, I don't get like, she's never seen Jaws. And she was like, I don't get like, what's the big deal? 
I was like, Jaws is in my mind one of the most perfect movies. And I always say that Jaws is the movie that I would show an alien that came down and said, what is a great example or one of the best examples of American cinema? There are definitely better movies. There are definitely movies I like more, but Jaws in my mind as a product of the American film system, there's just so many things to point at to say, this is great. This is great. This is great. Like, I might want to live in a beautiful house that I think looks bitching and cool and is in a cool place, but it might not be the best house that I've ever seen, but that's the house that I like. Jaws is kind of like that. It's it's just, there's so many things in it that you can learn filmmaking from. And I think there's so much going on. I get goosebumps multiple times watching that movie and I've seen it God knows how many times, you know, and, and uh, I'm going to give you a 45 minute explanation. But like I ran into this with her and she was like, but wh- so what, though? Like, who cares? And I was like, she said and I said, it's not uh, it's not your average popcorn summer movie. And she was like, well, what do you mean by a popcorn movie? And I was saying like you Avengers. Away. I would have just walked the fuck away. <laughs> no, no, because like, no. she was genuinely she was giving me the time. She was interested to hear what I had to say. But it's um, the original popcorn blockbuster like it's correct like and, and OG blockbuster. i got into that i was like it changed the way that movies were made it definitely changed the way that they were distributed and released but she was like what do you mean by a popcorn movie and i was like a popcorn movie is a movie that has a beginning a middle and end it's satisfying enough it's a fun journey it's like going on a roller coaster but when you get off you're not like thinking about the roller coaster you're just ready for another roller coaster right it's a popcorn movie is just a a movie that you have an excuse to eat popcorn in. It's a vehicle to get popcorn into your mouth. It, <laughs> it literally matter. is a popcorn movie. It does not matter what what the movie is. As long as you're eating popcorn, you're like, I'm, I will be satisfied. Well, it's just like, I, I feel like it's a disposable experience, right? It's a, like to use the Fight Club analogy, it's a single serve movie. Yeah. We don't walk out of a popcorn movie, go to Hooters and like dissect it and talk about it and say, can you believe? We high five over the cool action scenes, but that's it. And I feel like oh, Eraser is a good one yeah. because what yeah. scene, like what scenes do you really spend time talking about at Hooters? The alligator scene? I would yeah, say the rail like, guns, the, cool. the rail guns were cool guns and I like the damage they do and I like the design of the guns, but they, like they, it's no X-ray. pulse rifle, right? Yeah. yeah. It's nothing, it, it, there's nothing to distinguish that from um, collateral damage or, I mean, it's a little better than collateral damage or uh, the sixth day, you know, it's better than those, but like, they get lost in the shuffle of everything else. You don't need to rewatch them. You don't need to own them on DVD. Those to me are like popcorn movie. It's like, you know what? I have two hours, two hours of Arnold Schwarzenegger blowing shit up with Vanessa Williams. Done. And I know like the movie's like, listen, this is what this is going to be. I'm telling you that from the start. You're like, okay. They're like, you want, you want character development? Go somewhere else. You want, you want a, a reveal at the end. That's really going to make you think go somewhere else. This Christopher <laughs> Nolan is not directing popcorn movies. You know what I mean? Well, speaking of Christopher Nolan, um, you ready for Oppenheimer, Matt? Do you care about Oppenheimer? I don't know if I care, but Christopher Nolan, I like as a storyteller and I'll see anything he does. And he's done plenty that I liked and plenty that I don't like. But I, I he's but earned the stuff enough you cred. don't like the stuff you don't like. Still good, though, right? Just Correct. Not yours. Absolutely. Yeah. It's sure. a good okay. movie. It's 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 made really well. And that's why, like, it's not it's not like it's not worth like Tarantino is the opposite of that. Tarantino is a love hate. The stuff that of his that I do not like, I do not like. He's still yeah. a competent filmmaker, but it it's enough to be a turn off. I'm not turned off by any of Nolan's stuff. Sure. But uh, 
Oppenheimer, yeah, it looks like an interesting story. I like what's his face, his character, the way he's portraying him. He really seems like just from the snippets seems pretty good. Will I go see it in theaters? No, probably not. Um, uh, I definitely want to see it in theaters. But here's the funny thing. The other day, my wife was like, are you excited for Oppenheimer? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But here's something super weird. And you're going to laugh. But that's part of the joke. I am more interested, not excited, interested in Barbie. <clears throat> Fair. Okay. I can see that. Because here's the thing. Take the Barbie out of it. Mm-hmm. We're presented with Oppenheimer. Guaranteed it's good. I I, I know that those three hours are going to be a good movie. <laughs> or Boogans. Or Chopping Mall. Sure. Something yeah, yeah. that is something that is like, I don't know if that's going to be good, but it has a chance to impress me. Oppenheimer doesn't have a chance to impress me because it already has. I'm like, it's going to be Christopher Nolan. <laughs> he dropped a fucking bomb to make that movie. I, I am already like, yep, that's going to be great. I don't, you can't surprise me with that movie. If Barbie's actually good. Holy yeah. cow. I love you came that. from behind and won that race. You have a better chance of impressing me with Barbie than Oppenheimer. Because Oppenheimer is already like, yeah, that's probably good. I love the idea of that that perception, that frame of thought for you on a dating app. You're like, wow, this girl is gorgeous. She has a PhD. She loves Star Wars. Uh, I already know what I'm getting into. But this this girl looks weird. Here's a picture of her shaving her cat. And it says that she only has nine toes I don't know where this is going, but I'm rooting for the underdog here. Let me let me text Bertha. <laughs> I am absolutely going to root for the underdog film every time because, like, think about it. You come out of you come out of Oppenheimer and be like, "Yep, that's exactly what I expected." Sure. The only way it can surprise me is if it lets me down. Whereas Barbie, if it lets me down, I'm like I went and saw a movie called Barbie. What did I expect? If it's good, you're like, "No, guys, hear me out." Hear me out. That's like funny. a huge fucking right. Like it's prophetic almost like the way like because you're right. And that works for a million movies, right? A million movies. This is why I like shitty movies better than good movies half the time because you yeah. go to a good movie. If I spend $14 to go see uh, now, it's like I'm in the $30 range. Who am I kidding? If I spend $30 to go see a movie and it's supposed to be good, like it's been getting good reviews and it sucks. I have been let down and I'm out money. But if I put on a shitty movie at home and it's like actually half good, I am way more pleased with that choice than the good movie that I went and saw and it wasn't as good as I had hoped. You have That's, to, if I pay $30 wow. for anything, it has to be fucking great. So <laughs> you're right. Because like yeah. I saw Spider Verse, the new Spider Verse movie. Yeah. And I liked it a lot. Great. But it's really cool. It was what I thought it was going to be. You're right, because it didn't my it it kind of landed in the zone, in the framework of my expectations. So it kind of was uneventful because it didn't surprise me or anything. The first time you saw the first one, though, you were surprised at how fucking absolutely it was not the same reaction, even though this movie was maybe not any worse. Right. Does that make sense? Like, that's that's essentially what you're saying. The movie might be as good, but because I already had the expectations that it would be in that realm, you walk out of the movie like, "Eh." because because here's the thing. Seeing Spider-Verse 2, I walked out being like, I'm so glad that movie wasn't didn't didn't dip. Sure. I'm so sure. glad that that movie was on par. If not, certain parts of it character wise, I thought were better. But mm. on par, it stayed. It stayed. It towed the line. And I was more relieved than enthralled. Whereas if I go see some something that people are like, boo, this is going to suck. And then it's like actually super entertaining. And I had a good time. Like, I'm going to. Yeah. Gonna yeah. Be more, like crank two, <laughs> like 
Right, right, right. <laughs> that movie can't be good, right? Oh, actually, halfway through the movie, he turns into a giant kaiju and smashes some shit. Movie isn't good, but I had a better time at Crank 2 than when I went and saw Candyman, and I was like, yeah, that was a good movie, but like real serious and like, you know. And essentially it- what you're saying is <laughs> it, it's it's the difference between rating the movie and rating the experience, right? Because <sighs> you could have a you could watch a great movie, but it's not a great experience or vice versa. Yeah. And I guess when you watch a movie that you think is a good movie and the experience is also great, yeah. Yeah, I guess is like the best, right? That's the Venn diagram of like the best the best type of movie, right? I definitely like uh mm. when I saw 1917, you know, that big one take. Yeah. It was a good experience. Uh, my wife liked it, which is always always helps when when you know you go with your partner and they're like, oh, that movie was good. And you're like, I thought it was good too. Great. And you have something to talk about. Like that yeah. was a great movie experience and a good movie. So like overall, that gets a better score. Like when we went and saw the room and I had never seen the room before, man, that movie's terrible. I do not like that movie. But when I saw that in a movie theater with people screaming and throwing shit at the screen, I was on board for that experience. And that's one of the best movie going experiences I've ever had because the audience brought me along. I know you tried to make me watch the movie beforehand. I was like, no, this is terrible. I couldn't handle it. You're right, because I have I immediately bought 1917 on Blu-ray because like what a great film. Do you know how many times I've watched it on Blu-ray? Zero. Um, And I I, it's not that I can't, but it's like if I have three hours, do I want to spend it doing that or do I want it like I would watch three hours of Chopping Mall before 1917 and Chopping Mall isn't the movie that 1917 is, (laughs) but it's more enjoyable to sit there and watch than 1917. I have more fun. Yeah. Laughing at Chopping Mall. Um, I would rather watch Miami Connection any day of the week than pop on. I, I don't know some other Oscar-winning film. What was it? Moonlight? I don't know something. Something. Let's just pick. Trying to pick some random Oscar winner. Yeah, yeah. Moonlight. Great movie. I'm, you know, fantastic. Great. Good acting. Great story. But like, you know that that's why that's why we are who we are. That's why you know that's why I own okay, Miami Connection. Paid way too much for that Blu-ray. Right. Yeah. 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 Don't own very many Oscar winners. <laughs> I get. I get it. That's interesting. How funny. Uh, you know, I guess. Part of uh, on an academic level, and I'm pushing it, but on an academic level, this podcast is really good because it gets us to think about things like that. Whereas, like, you come out of a movie and you have feelings, but you don't necessarily explore them. It's really cool to figure out, like, why we like certain things, why we don't like certain things. Same thing as talking about the kids liking horror, right? Like, we don't really think about as a society why we like dark shit. Me and Amanda watch murders on Dateline because it's fucking interesting and it's, it's taboo and it's, dark and it is a little scary and sometimes that little spice completes the circle you know what yep. i mean of, of your experiences you know it's pretty interesting but yeah so, that, hmm. so that's why i'm more intrigued by barbie take take the pink barbie doll you can take all that out of it that obviously that's what appeals to me <laughs> i was gonna I'm, say take it take it out of the movie and put it in your room put woo! it on your shelf and in your bed you're a barbie uh, girl in a barbie world so fantastic <laughs> uh but still like i'm more intrigued by the possibility of that being funny Good yeah, yeah, or interesting. I can't even tell you what the take of that movie is, but that sure. movie, that movie might might be more fun, might be a bigger thrill. So I'm more intrigued by that than Oppenheimer, which I'm already like, yeah, it'll be fantastic. Guarantee you, I will be like, film school nerd. I do think it's a crazy, and you know me, I'm not on social media a lot. Yeah, but the the only one I check for myself personally is for Facebook, and I don't really spend a lot of time on there. But even in my limited viewing. 
social media seems to love to compare those two movies. Well, because they it's come like, out like the same week, yeah. But like, there's been other movies that are very different and also have buzz at the same time that have not been directly compared in so many memes and fan art and this and that. It's like everybody's real excited about that week, you know. <laughs> I just, I think it's just also because there's such contrasting movie here. Here you have this thing that is literally like vapid bubblegum trying to portray this like I'm Barbie back to Oppenheimer which is like Christopher Nolan must be so mad and that kind of also <laughs> makes me like happy like I think that's hysterical not that, not that I want Christopher Nolan to not be happy but I like I love the idea of some super pretentious director being like oh, Barbie like <laughs> you know it'd be super cool I just recently saw it was an anniversary of one of the movies and I saw someone posted a like newspaper article or newspaper ad that Steven Spielberg took out to congratulate George Lucas on jo- on one of the Star Wars movies beating Jaws's box office, yep. and it was R two D two with a fishing pole, yep. and it was you know in the realm of u- using galaxy puns and and water puns and shark puns. I want to see after these movies debut, whichever one concedes victory to the other. I want to see that letter, that in context, in universes letter from Barbie tipping Barbie's hat to Oppenheimer or vice versa. How fucking funny would that be? Or just Oppenheimer dropping a bomb on Barbie. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh my God. What if, what if Oppenheimer actually, I already know it's, it's making bazillion dollars in pre-sales, but like, what if Oppenheimer literally bombs and they have to like all the jokes that come out about the movie about a bomb, Bombing. Oh, you gotta think critics are waiting, right? Oh, right, dude. So some critics like is he? He's like when you play craps, like he's betting against the dice roller. Right, right, like, right. So he's like, and he's just putting all these jokes in the chamber. He is loading his joke gun with a bunch of like, looks like this bomb didn't ignite or excite. Ar, 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 ar. Like he is, he is just packing them. And like when when the the box office comes out and it's like made bazillion dollars, he's just gonna be like. Brr. Put that joke gun, <laughs> put that joke gun right in his mouth. It's like I'll troll. <laughs> yeah. Uh well. <laughs> well, that's a mean joke. Anyway, yeah. uh, what else did you watch, Remy? What did you watch? So I didn't well, like I said, I didn't watch as much. I read a few comics, but nothing nothing super um amazing. I finally finished Attack on Titan and I had like a great awesome battle at the end, but like it just gets so fucking surreal. For me, I just want to see the giants and the vertical maneuvering gear. But it's it's lovely and I love it. And I'm it, it feels like an epic. It was 32 trades. I'm glad I finally finished it. But I read a novel that I've read multiple times before, but I haven't read it in a while. It was nice to do that because I don't usually do that. I don't have the time. Um, do you remember probably high school, but let's say it, throughout your your young schooling career, not really college, but before college, do you remember reading a novel for class that you had to read? That you were like, fuck, this is actually pretty good. And and you got into it and you liked it. I, I always ha- uh I hated being forced to read things. I because bet. like oh, I hate it. I hate it. It, it. it turned me off of reading big time, big time. Because our teachers- most of it do, but most of m- most of well, us do hate being forced. But like you, you have I, like at least des- you have some sort of dyslexia. Right. And I know that yeah. you're like, it's hard for you to read things sometimes. Well, it's hard to read fast. It's hard to read fast. But mm-hmm. my, my biggest issue is like, they'd be like, well, what do you think this means? And it's like, I think this means this. No, it means this. <laughs> okay, well, we can't even talk about that. No. And it's like, they would just turn you off to cool things. Like, you know, and here's the other problem. My school had us read the same books over and over again. 
So in like seventh or eighth grade, they were like, we're reading Treasure Island. I'm like, I read Treasure Island when I was like five. Story, yeah, yeah. As soon as I could read, I was like, I want the book with the pirates. And and our family read it together. Like Mm -hmm. we take turns. You know, here I am donkey reading, you know, two or three words at a time. And then my parents would read a whole chapter to us. And we read Treasure Island that way. We read Frankenstein that way. Jules Verne that way. And that's how I learned how to read super young. Our family would read together. So by the time I'm in seventh grade, I'm reading fucking Jurassic Park. I'm reading Jaws. Yeah, same. I'm reading Stephen King. And they're like, let's read Treasure Island. I'm like, cool. I like that book. But I read that when I was like a baby. And I'm like, all right, well, we're going to read it. Okay, we get through it. We overanalyze the shit out of it. And I'm like, it's really not that deep. There's pirates and, you know, <laughs> yeah, the, the guy missing a leg means something. I, who gives a fuck? And then we read, you know, I had already read Huck Finn or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then we get to high school and they're like, okay, we're going to read Huck Finn and then we're going to read Treasure Island. I'm like, I literally just read those last year. And then you get somewhere else, you get to college and they're like, okay, we're going to be analyzing a classic uh, Treasure Island. I'm like, I'm so, (laughs) I read that. Like, can we pick different books for once? Like, let's get away from the same old bullshit books. Like, please let us pick. I never had to read Treasure Island. Not even one time. Yeah, my wife didn't either. I that's all we ever read. It was Treasure But I hear Island you about Huck Finn and, and Tom Sawyer, over, all that yeah. shit. And same with you. I was reading Jurassic Park. I read Jurassic Park like when it came out. I don't know what yeah. year that was, but what year was same. it, right? Yeah. Um and Stephen King like crazy. But there was a couple books like Crime and Punishment. I remember I didn't read because it was fucking tome and I was doing sports and this and that. But I remember reading the Cliff Notes and being like, Wow, this is a book I'd like to come back to. There was a book that I don't remember what the trip was. It might have been a skiing trip, but we went on a like a family vacation with another family. Yeah. And I remember on the drive home, remembering slash verbalizing, oh shit, I have to read this novel from school by tomorrow. <laughs> and my mom was pissed. And they were like on the and my mom, like my parents were not like, oh, we'll help you through it, like they did with my fucking sister. They read books for my sister and told her what to write in book reports. That's not that's not a lie. So if anyone's getting operated on right now in North Carolina in my sister's emergency room, good luck with that. She did not <laughs> read Treasure Island. Um, <laughs> but I remember reading this book on the way home and it was a short book and it's called After the First Death by Roger Cormier, who I, I knew nothing about the book when I opened it. I was just like, I think I could probably nail this during the two hour, three hour drive home. And then tonight it's fucking fantastic. It is about a hostage situation on a bridge by unknown terrorists. We never find out where they're from. And the book is told through three different trains of thought. The first is uh, it sits in, in the now. There is a boy at a military school who talks about a hole through his chest. And he is waiting for his father, who's a general, to come. And there's trepidation for that. And it's all about leading back to this bridge. Then they talk about this other boy who's relatively the same age, but he is literally a terrorist. And there is a older man terrorist who's kind of like a father figure to him. They end up taking over a school bus full of five-year-olds, poisoning them with candy to get them to like go to sleep. Yeah, Rumi's face. If you're not watching the YouTube, Rumi's eyebrows just went up. That's like within the first 25 pages. And I was like, what? They pull this bus onto the bridge so they have a strategic advantage that nobody can get to the bus. One of the kids dies from the poison candy. It's supposed to be a sedative, 
but he either has a weak heart or he's allergic to it. He dies. So automatically within the first 20, 30 pages, there's a dead kid. And I'm like, you're making me read this in high school. Go on. The, the young boy has a gun and his job is to kill the bus driver. But when they raid the bus, it's a different bus driver than they thought it was going to be. So it changes the plan. It's a young girl. So then we are introduced to her and the story is told through her eyes at certain points. It's fantastic. Now, it's a it's a young adult novel. And again, I, apparently Roger Cormier has done a lot of these and he's lauded for this kind of uh, young adult fiction that's relevant to the times and stuff. And this is a very timeless book. They don't specifically say who it is or what. These guys are fighting in their minds to reclaim their homeland. They're ready to kill children and themselves for it. It takes you inside not specific ideologies, but a very vague ideology. And there's a couple times where the bus driver, who's a young a white American girl, talks to this dark skinned foreigner and their two you know life experiences are just so different it's very very interesting um spoiler alert big spoiler alert so if you're if you care to read this you know maybe don't listen to this part but every once in a while we cut back to the now where it is the son of the general remembering this and every once in a while it's the general at this school looking for his son and they keep missing each other they keep literally being in the same room moments after each other they can't find each other the general finds the son's notes and we learn that the general sent his son in to the hostage situation as a neutral messenger so as like a preteen this kid goes in there he ends up getting shot the general feels bad about it and at the end of the book it's revealed that the kid died well it's it's not revealed it's very much implied that the kid dies and the general essentially has like super guilt about it to the point where he's in a home and is essentially doing both personalities a warring personalities in his head over the guilt. It's really, really interesting. And you and I have seen a million movies like this and we've seen this type of story a, a bunch of times, but as a, what would I have been 16, yeah. maybe 15, 16 year old kid reading this for school. It's like the moment where your dad's like, Hey man, let's watch Terminator tonight. Cause your mom's not here. And you're like, what it felt like that for school which happens so rarely and i remember burning through that book and being so into whatever assignment we had to do that i now have purchased like multiple copies of it and it was a cool thing to check out so it was kind of fun to read that and if like like you said you don't have to read it fast but it's i think it's like 270 pages or something which for me is a pretty quick read um it was cool, and I, I I meant to look up if they if they've made a movie about it. I don't know if it I don't know if it would hit as well as a movie, but it would be an interesting movie. See, that's the thing. Like I used to be able to burn through. Like when I got to the right point, and I had I had tutoring for a while, I could burn through books. Like I was I would read a Goosebump book in a day, no problem. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, oh, an, yeah, yeah. In yeah, an yeah. afternoon, yeah. I would burn through a Goosebump book. Um, that sounds really interesting. And it's like a lot of times though, like the the young adult novels, they're a little more clear with their messaging. And mm-hmm. yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's a little more effective because it's like a movie where a movie's like, get it. These are the bad guys. And you're like, I right. get it. There's a, a young adult series. Uh, my 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 teacher, um, my teacher is an alien. Uh, my teacher fried my brains. My teacher glows in the dark. My teacher flunked the planet. Bruce mm-hmm. Koval, I believe. Um, and I thought they were such cool books as a kid. And like they they put on some really pretty deep like what starts is like oh whoa, my teacher's an alien you know like a, a kid's version of the faculty by the end is like do human beings even have the right 
to exist in a intergalactic society or are we too barbaric and we should be destroyed because we're idiots who will destroy ourselves anyway and like that's what it ends with it starts with Mm. like a fun little like sci-fi romp and then ends with the kids having to convince the aliens that like no human beings deserve to live and 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 strive and you don't you shouldn't reset us by just destroying the planet but like Mm. yeah that's a that you know it's a very dr manhattan question you know I was like, man, that's that's heavy stuff. And, and I like how heavy some books got like that. You know, now, you know, when you go and read, you know, you, 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 when you read, you know, those classic tomes like War and Peace and stuff like that, it's like it's it's all allegory or. Yeah. You know, and that, I guess you know, it's like, cool when you say, like you said, it's um, they don't bury the messages, the symbolism or the subtext. They don't bury it as deep because. You know, theoretically, as a, as a young adult, you, you you don't have the shovel you need to dig that that, that far down. Yeah. But it does make it more accessible and enjoyable. And I guess, like you said, talking about like the the Doctor Manhattan question at the end of that book or the end of that series, that's a great topic for kids, you know, young adults to debate about. And like you said, you don't need that much to dig, you know, that much layers to dig through to get to that. Um, it kind of sets them up for a good conversation or a good paper or a good whatever, yeah. which is pretty cool. And I like that. And it is I feel like this book was one of those like it's like I, like, I don't want to say popcorn book because it's not a popcorn book. It does make you think, but it's quick. I can burn through it very fast. It's something I've not, anything I've read before, I could read faster, you know? Um, well, uh, but it's also just, very general. So it fits. Like, I, I yeah. think it was, oh, that's the other thing. I think it was written in 1978. Whoa. So think about what was going on politically and, and, yeah. and you know, throughout the, the throughout the, the world at the time. A lot of hostage situations. For sure. And actually, like 19 in the 70s, that was the birth of some some types of terrorism, or at least, I guess, the publicity of certain types of terrorism. So that makes a big deal. And in the book, they say we need to take a stand against this because we need people who would take hostage and wouldn't do terror to understand we are not going to negotiate. We need to set that policy now, which I feel like we grew up in a society where we knew that theoretically the U.S. does not negotiate with terrorists. Oh, yeah. And like. That's been made a a, a situation, a statement that's been made a, a, a um, um, what's the word? A process, a, a um, policy. Yeah, yeah, that's what. Yeah, that's what a, a policy. So it's interesting to see. That's the only thing that kind of dates that idea because there could be a bus of hostages today that this thing would play out just like this. So it's pretty interesting. It was, it was, a, it was a good little read to pick, and I could pick up and put it down. You know, yeah. Something you just said that I, I want to touch on. You said, you know, as an adult, you have the shovel to dig that deep into a story. And it just made me realize something about like another reason why, you know, bad teachers and or dealing with teachers that didn't know how to bring you along a literary journey is like, here's a very adult and difficult book, but I'm told that you're old enough to understand it. So I'm going to dig the hole for you and then throw the shovel at your face and flunk you if you don't understand why that hole's there. And you're mm-hmm. like, but we haven't worked up to this. We haven't read anything or everything else we've been doing. You're just telling me what the allegory is. Isn't it better when you read something, you're like, I understand that allegory. Like when you're forced to it, forced to dig the ditch, forced to sit there. And then if you don't understand it or you're not following along, they flunk you. Like, again, it's just, it's just, it's just, it's never felt like you earned the books or you earned the experience of reading those books. You know, I get that. That makes sense. It would, you know, it'd be interesting. Is mm-hmm. to talk to a kid now who's that age, yeah. you know, or doing that stuff now and see if they're being taught differently than we are. Because I could tell you as a elementary school teacher, they are, there's a new school of thought or, it's, you know, it's not new today. It's been new for a while, but sure. 
it's called productive struggle, where instead of me as a teacher, give you the thing you need to access the lesson, I see what you could do first. So like, for example, if we're going to talk about addition, I don't say, okay, guys, if I had three apples and then had another three apples and put them together, I have six apples now, right? You guys with me? Okay, that's addition. That's giving you everything. The newer newer school of thought is to give you some sort of problem, a practical problem, almost like an experiment that you have to figure out. And essentially, you're using addition without realizing that's what it is or that's what it's called. Then we do that. And then I talk about it with you. Hey, tell me about it. When you just were putting those apples together, what did you realize? Well, I realized I had some and then some more came and then I had more at the end. Oh, great. You realize that that's called addition. Now, here's the actual facts and the plus sign and all the shit that you didn't know about. I'll teach you that. and We work on it together. So it's interesting. I wonder now, because I agree with you where like, I don't, I don't feel as um, aggressive and violated as you seem to feel about like them throwing the shovel and stuff at me. But you're right. When you read that book, they're like, this means this and this means that. And I don't really remember any conversations, at least that I was a part of where I was like, do you think the bus means hope? And the teacher was like, no, but like, what a terrible fucking thing to say, because everybody that re everybody that interprets a piece of art or a piece of entertainment should be able to interpret it like that should warrant its own conversation even right. if they don't agree with you like it's one thing for a teacher to be like hey young adult i don't agree with that but i can understand you say that because you backed it up with this that's an interesting take let's talk more about that you know i, I also just feel like how we were taught a lot of the schools we went to or at least how i how i grew up being taught not not for my family my family was a little more nurturing on that end is like you know also if you don't get this right, if you don't parrot back to me what I told you, I'm going to flunk you, and then you're not right. going to go to college. You're going to be flipping burgers. And it's like, oh, God. Oh, no. So it's like- The burgers represent despair. There's a, <laughs> there's, a lot of fucking, <laughs> there's a lot of fucking pressure on to understand some pretty heavy allegory that a lot of adults don't get. Yeah, yeah. yeah and they're true. like, well, I'm told you're supposed to be old enough to understand this. But it's like, can we go into like, can we work- up to this stuff or are you just going to throw us in the deep end? I'm going to throw you in the deep end and if you can't swim, you'll fucking get an F. Those burgers are calling It's interesting. And I, yeah. you know, even though I'm teaching five-year-olds, which is different, and now Kent is four, yeah. Kent asks a lot of questions. He's starting to ask a lot about death. Um, my kids at school will ask about God and religion sometimes. Mm. And it's you got to be, especially in, when it's not your kid, right? You got to be careful. Really but careful. I always yeah, try to yeah, leave yeah, yeah. shit open for interpretations. So like, yeah. like religion, God, holidays, I will always be like, some people feel this way. Some, And I try to keep religion vague, right? But I feel like if I was teaching books, like if I was teaching war and peace, I, would, I wouldn't be like, this represents this and this represents that. Like some people think this, some people think that. But as a teacher, it would get me jazzed if you as a student said some shit that I didn't think about, even if I thought it was wrong. If you could say, I think the bus represents hope because of blah, blah, blah. And that's what it meant to you. How fucking cool. You took the text that I gave you and ex- accessed something from it, right? Yeah. It might not be what I thought you were going to. And maybe the curriculum dictates that I have to tell you that the bus represents peace and not hope. But like, okay, we could talk about that and say, hey, anything can represent anything, right? What do you? What did you take from it? If that spoke to you, I would be so jazzed that a student was having that conversation with me at all. You know what I mean? I, I Although I guess I, I will say this. I read Jaws when I was way too young. I was probably in fourth grade when I read Jaws, and I knew that I suddenly was reading the book, and I was like, yeah, it's not really about a shark. Jaws represents a dick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was a that was a page turner for you. Your dis your dyslexia had no problem reading that frontwards and backwards. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, no, no. The uh, the shark represents uh, uh, Chief Brody's uh, fragile masculinity. He's he's like super nervous about his wife cheating on him with Hooper, and the shark is a big representation of that. I've picked up on that, so I guess they were. I guess it works. Wow, let's just like oppressively teach our children <laughs> with lots of pressure. That works. <laughs> They'll at least understand Jaws. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, I watched another movie that was interesting. Um, I'm I, I, interested to find out how you feel about this one. Uh, Lethal Weapon. I'd seen this before. You know, it's it's a, a Christmas classic. But uh, <laughs> Lethal Weapon, 1987, Richard Donner, written by Shane Black, obviously starring, starring Melly Gibson and Danny Glover. He's too old for this shit when he turns 50. He was 40 when he played the role. God damn. I'm too old. For this. Yeah, I know. I feel. Yeah. <laughs> God, um, I, I, my back is going to hurt the rest of the day just having heard that. I know. The funny thing about that movie is I feel it's like one of those bl- blueprint films that sort of Absolutely. Cha- changed the paradigm of that cop movie, the buddy cop movie. I don't mm-hmm. know if it's the first buddy cop movie, but it it became the paradigm. There's yeah. before Lethal Weapon and then there's after Lethal Weapon. And it, watching it now, it's such a cliche, but you're like, I'm pretty sure that this was not the first to do this because even in the 80s there had been film noir which is the hard luck detective genre and you know hard hard luck criminal genre and this movie i think sort of packaged all of those clichés together and like put a stamp on it and made it a very accessible 80s package <laughs> um so <laughs> you mean with a giant bush is that what you're saying <laughs> and covered in cocaine um but uh, yeah, the Lethal Weapon, it, it's, it's a classic for a reason. I don't know if I need four of those movies, but um, it's, it's funny to watch it because it's so cliche now, but you're like, it was sort of the paradigm of its time and has spawned so many spinoffs that now I'm like, I've seen this a million times. They're like, well, actually, this was, the, this was the first time we did it, but now it just feels cliche, which is hysterical. Well, it's interesting because like you said, it might not have been the first time, but it certainly was the best time up to that point, right? Sure. So even if there, even if you could name something that was before, this was done so well, publicized so much, seen so much that it certainly became the trope, right? Everything else after that was derivative from this in a sense. Uh, it's interesting that you mentioned film noir. I'd love to discuss the evolution of that, uh, of film noir to something like Lethal Weapon. Yeah. Would you use the term buddy comedy, uh, sorry, buddy cop movie? I'm pretty sure that term only applies to comedy, right? It wouldn't like you wouldn't really call a buddy cop if it was a serious movie or an action movie. It ha- well, action movies are a little comedic and it's just in their excess of this, if not in their writing. But buddy to me, at least to me, I'll say to me. Yeah. Buddy to me implies that the two cops have witty banter between the two of them. That's what makes it a buddy. Right. Me and you are buddies. We fucking joke around and stuff. A hundred percent. No, you're right. Yeah, you're right. And I think that Shane Black dialogue is so beautiful in everything he does, right? But certainly in that movie, in most of what he does, maybe not the Predator, but yeah, in many okay. of many of his movies, certainly in, in Nice Guys, I loved, and yep. in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, I could read those scripts and be entertained, you know, oh, just yeah, by yeah, the yeah. dialogue. No, no. Th- those are fantastic, though, but yeah. Um, but I think Lethal Weapon is very similar in that, and like you said, it, it, was, it was groundbreaking, at least at the time, for setting that these two guys are on a stakeout together, they are apples and oranges. They are worlds apart. They love each other. They hate each other. They work together. Well, how does that conversation in that car go? And I think that's the the difference between the th- film noir and the buddy cop is we're goofing around now. People are getting killed. There's murders. We're investigating murders. There's danger. And I guess it is a a, a real threat, a real danger, as opposed to like a cartoony threat. 
But at the same time, we're having a good time with this. This is fun. This is a fun thing. Then like at the end, when they have those fight scenes at the end, you are concerned and you're, I think you're feeling for the characters, but uh, yeah, you, 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 Riggs and Murtaugh, I'll 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 listen to those two all day. I don't know if I've ever seen the fourth one, but I would. I'm sure I, I'm sure it would be what I think it is. But the first one is it's fantastic, and it's a great it's a great movie for dialogue. I think it absolutely is. I mean, you got Gary Busey in there being crazy, always fantastic. Um, love me some Tom Atkins. So yeah, it's it's got some good stuff in it. It's a classic for sure for a reason. You know, yeah, that's why people come back to it. Not that action packed and. Yeah, it's it's a weird genre though, for sure. But but the chemistry is worth it, for sure, hundred percent. And I think that's also one of those genres that worked best at a certain time, late uh, you know mid 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 eighties to late nineties, when you could get away with certain things in a movie that you yes. just can't do now. And I feel like that worked very well for that genre of buddy cop because well, you could have it be yeah. excessively action, gory, even scary at times. You could have him hitting on and trying to date Berta's underage question mark daughter. Yeah. You know, and I guess bad boys did very, something very similar. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 that's a good movie. That's, that's a movie for me personally, like back to the future yeah. where it's great. I know it's great, but I don't usually think about it. And then when it, when my attention gets drawn back, I'm like, Oh shit, I should go back and rewatch that. The issue is, it's only an hour and 49 minutes. It feels like a two and a half hour movie. It does it for sure. Yeah, I know exactly it, what you mean. It kind of drags um, and it goes all over the place. But like you said, it really fits the 80s well, because back in the 80s, like cops were heroes and cocaine was rampant. So everybody was like, <laughs> like every time something <laughs> rad happens, like a saxophone's like, wah, wah, and you're like, fuck. <laughs> Not yet. Uh, There's nothing more 80s than a saxophone solo during a hard moment in a buddy cop film. Right. I know. Right. <laughs> exactly. And and I'm here for that. That definitely works well. Um, But like, you know, we live in a time now where it's like, I don't know, a buddy cop movie just doesn't seem to fit. Like even as a genre, it's hard to mm. hard to get on board with that, you know, Um, because as a society, like I, I don't know why it's easier to cheer for a cop who's like going outside the rules and like being crazy then. But now you're like, because we've seen it play out in real time. But it's like, I don't know. Now it just doesn't it doesn't doesn't hit the same way. I wonder if that's because of topical things or because Hollywood's just producing the same shit over. And I'm not saying that I believe this, but Hollywood's producing the same shit over and over without putting yeah. the nuances in it that you need to make a successful buddy cop movie, you know? Right, um, right. Like, wow, you got some funny zingers. Great. But like, is 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 the cliche played out? Right. Where it's like, if you if you set it in the 80s, is it a period piece? Does it work? Does it only work when you have saxophone raring through <laughs> a... Uh, you know, a, a cop chase like is that? Well, you is know that what for happens? me, I'm feeling like I'm thinking. I just watched some Netflix movie with Ryan Gosling recently. I forget what it was, but he was an action guy. He was like a you know a wet works killer, and then they go after him. It's a movie you've seen a thousand times. He was sure. very witty. He fights Chris Evans, who plays a mustache twirling bad guy. Great job. They have amazing back and forth, funny jokes. I don't care about either of the characters. I cared about Riggs. I cared about Riggs yeah. that he, you know, lost his family, his wife, and he was literally crazy. He was unhinged, but you loved him for that underdog quality and for that innocence that was broken and stolen from him that made him the way he is. He also loves Murtaugh and Murtaugh's family, and he believes in what he's doing. Right. I root for that character. 
Ryan Reynolds' character was just a character. He did a great job. There was nothing wrong with it, but I didn't care. I didn't yeah. care about anything that he did. And maybe that's me. Maybe I've just seen 40 years of movie and I'm done caring. But like, that's missing. Murtaugh, you wanted him to retire. You wanted him to have a peaceful life with his family. You, every time Riggs pulled him into some bullshit, you were like, oh, Murtaugh's not going to like this. <laughs> it was fun. You're in, yeah. you know what I mean? You were invested in these characters. Um, and, and it's probably because of that scene that's in the movie where they build a little bit of character, but it doesn't really help the movie. But you come away being like, I understand a little bit more about that mm. character. And it's like when you have that, like in the new Spider-Man movie, there's an entire rooftop party scene that doesn't really move the plot. But we learn about what the characters desires are for themselves, for their families. And I think in most movies, some producer goes, cut that out. It's dragon here. Mm -hmm. But then yeah. like you have these movies with characters that don't really have impact, you know? Yeah. And I think that's a, the, going back to what I said at, uh, at the top, towards the top of the episode about Jaws and popcorn movies. I was trying to explain the person I was talking to, my friend Callista, she does not um, like horror movies. And I was like, because you don't like horror movies, you might not like Jaws at all. Even though I don't say Jaws is a horror movie, it's got horror-ish. She's like, it's Killer Shark movie. I don't get it. I was like, it's not. It's this amazing drama with these characters who go like three, essentially three men go on three similar but different journeys and i said character a's interaction with character b is different than character a's interaction which is different than c and b and c interact completely differently than any of those and i said you don't usually get that in horror which just makes jaws that much more important yeah. that you, you see movies yeah what is the movie about a killer shark but it's about these guys journey together and also individually and what they do with and for each other i think that's yeah. fucking fantastic and phenomenal the shark is only part of the, the film, and it's, it, for that, it's not catalyst. necessarily important. He's right. only the catalyst. He's not the plot. And That's I tried to explain. I said, there's yeah. so many shark horror movies that are just a shark killing people. That's not what Jaws is about. And I feel like there are so many action cop movies that are about the rogue cop, maybe even a rogue cop and his partner. But it doesn't. it's not about the relationship like Lethal Weapon is about their relationship. L Lethal Weapon is about those two cops doing all those things together. Sometimes one cop pulls the other cop in and it's that Samurai Champloo thing of you're from two completely different worlds. Now you're in the same situation together. How do you handle it as individuals, but also how do you handle it as a group? And that's just, that, that's what Jaws is about, right? Yeah, 100%, man. One of my favorite parts of, uh, not favorite parts, a funny part of, Lethal Weapon is at the beginning of the movie. It's Murtaugh's 50th birthday and his family bursts in while he's in the tub and they like bring him a cake and like talk to him and everybody just acts like this is normal. It's like, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> it's not even a bubble bath. <laughs> you guys, you, Dad's I, 50 I mean, year old junk is just flopping around in the water there. Floating in the water. <laughs> Happy birthday, dad. He's like, your beard's turning gray. I like it. His daughter says that. I'm like, don't look down. Don't. Yeah. Just, just <laughs> eyes up here, kid. <laughs> Fucking awkward. Uh, super funny though. But yeah, it, it was cool to see. It's it, it's interesting. I I wouldn't. I don't know if I say it holds up, but it definitely you can tell that it is a a genre not that everything comes to yeah. it and it splinters. I would say I would say that the foundationally important. Like yeah. if you haven't seen Lethal Weapon, but you're interested in movies, you're interested in action, you're interested in cop movies, you're interested in comedies. It's definitely worth seeing yeah. just to see what came before. You might. Like I said, for my friend Callista and Jaws, you might not like it, but hopefully you could see it and appreciate 
those pillars that it is setting up for all those other movies to build off of every other like like you don't have rush hour you don't have jackie chan right chris tucker telling jokes and kicking ass if you don't have a lethal weapon right right like and and you could say that for any of the buddy cop movies like you all have to look at that movie and borrow from it just as much as you're trying to be different from it yeah i agree i agree every time and i I think that's always interesting when you have a a paradigm movie that that completely changes the blueprint or sets the blueprint or remints the blueprint because like i said what they're doing in this movie isn't new film noir have been doing it forever but bringing the comedy to it and like i don't know reminting it to be this i think is where where it sets its sets its mark i love it check it out that was fun the the next time we get to do this man we'll be in person i'm very excited about that i'm and i i i've been telling everyone um that that's like Rumi's coming Rumi's coming Rumi's coming Rumi's coming it's gonna be good man. we get to do it like we haven't done it in person in a while and i realized that last week we haven't said we haven't been able to to record something next to each other remember we used to record like regular episodes together like at one of our tables oh they were so good yeah the good old days the good old days they were so good too um good episodes i think we're gonna have some good episodes again but uh while we're at comic-con come and see us like i said uh, we have two panels i'm so excited for this um july 20th that's the thursday at 8 p.m in room 25 a b c we will be doing ghost faces killer trivia with prizes and all sorts of crazy stuff that one's going to be amazing and then saturday night at 7 30 p.m room 29 cd are nothing tops dinosaurs attacks cards where we will be dissecting these gnarly trading cards from that era, featuring a real paleontologist who has named dinosaurs. So super excited about oh all of god, that. that's gonna be so cool. I know. It's I've, so I cool. Greg Goldstein, who is a panelist on that panel, told me when I told him about the paleontologist and some of the stuff that we were gonna do, he was like, "I kind of just want to watch this panel. I don't want to sit on it. I just no. want to watch it." And I was Too like, late. "That's you like the best up. thing a panelist could tell you, right?" Is like, "I would watch this. I would do this." I mean. I'm looking at all the panels that are coming up, and some of them them are, are very exciting. There's a lot of bullshit, dude. Sorry, San Diego Comic Con. Uh, I know there's a lot you have to sift through, but guarantee you these are going to be golden because it's it's our it's our first live show of the Launchpad Podcast, and it's you know at the big show. So why not why not make it best possible? I'm excited. Yeah. Uh, f- we're very excited. We hope to see you guys there. Come up, say hi to us if you see us around. Definitely come to those panels and come up to us at the panels. Let us know you're a listener. Um, it, we love to meet fans. We love to see you guys. So let us know. Yes, absolutely. Rumi, let's blast this thing off. Dude, we're going to get to do that in person. I was just going to say, the next time we do this, we're going to touch hands. Oh. <laughs> it was so good dude oh we're the rocketeers and we are out oh yeah social media facebook instagram and twitter at launchpad pod on our website launchpadpod.com you know the deal i had to get that in there just before we signed off but like i said we are the rocketeers and we are out ignition sequence start six five four three two one zero all engine one